Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, not joined as always by my friend and co-host, Alex Dandino. Uh, life finds a way, as we were once taught by Mr. Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Alex was so prepared for this weekend with uh, Avengers Endgame coming out, Game of Thrones, The Battle of Winterfell. We were amping up for a lot of coverage on our other show, The Long Box Session, and to do Over the Top is the final fatherhood lesson for this movie, uh, for this podcast, right? Uh, Alex's son, Kurgan Dandino, they call him Henry, but we'll call him Kurgan here, uh, came six weeks early. Andrea, Henry, Alex back home everyone got out safe healthy little boy home with the dandino family where he belongs uh i'm super happy for him i've been getting a lot of pictures very cute alex is uh insanely obsessively scared and anxious as you would imagine he would be but he's got it man he's gonna be a good dad so we uh are hoping he's listening and having a great time with the family in his stead i called on one of our classic uh go-to co-hosts when we need a some backup, Jonathan Holiday. What's up, dude? Hey, what's up? No matter where you go, there you are. Congrats <laughs> yeah. to uh, Alex and his family. Yeah, so. man, it's cool. I'm really, I told him, I was like, man, your kid just completely blew apart in game, Game of Thrones, and Stallone's greatest movie over the top. So me and him are off on a rocky start. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Stallone will always be there for us, like Paris. That's what we learned. Um, Guys, if you like the show, which hopefully you do and you're here, if you find us on iTunes especially, leave a rating and review for the show and uh, share the show on your socials. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Uh, Phil Malcolm is pod if you want to email us suggestions for movies or ideas. We love to hear from you guys, and we appreciate the communication we've been having lately. Um, but on to the show. John is our guest of honor. I was like, John, if you're going to come in and fill in for some movies, uh, I'm going to let you pick, man. I'm not forcing themes down your throat, man. It's a good change of pace and set of the family, which people That's right. think you know, it's spared. So. The Alchemist never got to hear our epic head of the family podcast, uh, which is sad. And someday I'm going to force someone to do that movie again with me. <laughs> yeah, you get one shot per person. And, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah. I know you won't watch it again. Sadly, uh, but it will be coming back. So now I was like, all right, I made you suffer head of the family or enjoy a gym that you'll remember till the day you die, which is true. Uh, John, what did you bring for us today? So um, today I brought Buckaroo Banzai. So. Yeah. Adventures across the eighth dimension, which I've always found confusing. Well, are we the eighth? The eighth dimension. Uh spoilers is in everything around us the eighth dimension is between all matter so oh okay yes yeah, see i was so zoned out during the science uh panel <laughs> uh Neil John. tyson actually said that this is one of the most scientifically accurate movies so did he really get the fuck out of here he said it's right up there next to the martians so you know. <laughs> he's like shit potatoes arrowed on aerodynamic rocket vans <laughs> and the monkey boys john let's go right. <laughs> uh john 
Yep. Why Buckaroo Banzai? Uh, when did you find it? What have you always loved about it? I think I found this movie probably on like I want to say like Cinemax or something when I was in maybe junior high or something like that. So uh, scouring for softcore came across Buckaroo <laughs> came across Banzai. Buckaroo Banzai, and yeah, <laughs> uh, it's always kind of held a soft spot. It's definitely just kind of a kooky out there movie, but um, the cast is just stellar and. Um, it's if fucking you just kind ridiculous. of embrace it, it's it's just a really fun movie. So, you know what I I was struck by? I was like, man, I just this movie doesn't exist anymore, right? Like this this kind of movie is one of these kind of straight to DVD, or I mean, straight to digital release. Now we don't do straight to DVD, right. you know, uh, shot by someone and their friends at like a convention center with an iPhone. The the days of the big budget movie like this, I mean. Did you find the title card? Yeah, I have the script, so I have the title card. (laughs) Okay, so everyone who knows this show, I fucking love title card uh, info. I love when a movie starts with a title card and feeds me like a little history on the world. I think this is the best one of all time. (laughs) I mean, it's a really good title card. Would you care to read this for the audience, please? Yeah, sure. I'll do my best here. (laughs) Scrolling title appears. Buckaroo Bonsai, born to an American mother and Japanese father, thus began life as he was destined to live it, going in several directions at once. A brilliant neurosurgeon, this restless young man grew quickly dissatisfied with life devoted solely to medicine. He roamed the planet studying martial arts and particle physics, collecting around him a most eccentric group of friends, those hard-rocking scientists, the Hong Kong Cavaliers. And now, with his astounding jet car ready for a bold assault on the dimensional barrier, Buckaroo Bonsai faces the greatest challenge of his turbulent life. While high above Earth, an alien spacecraft keeps a nervous watch on Team Bonsai's every move. I mean, there are some good ones out there. That's pretty solid. This is the best one ever. Uh, also, trivia, born to an American mother, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, cut from the movie. Yeah, so add her to the list of that. just this, this fucking murderer's row of cast. Uh, all right, so he's a doctor, martial artist, rock star. Particle physicist. Particle physicist. <laughs> uh, trumpet player. Extraordinary. Yes, pianist. Uh, there's a lot. I, this is... This is the kind of movie, and I fucking love these movies, but it's as if they were just brainstorming, like, what is all of the cool stuff? And they just never stop piling on without imagining what its value is to the story. They're yeah. just like, why? Why? Because I, I just was like, halfway through the movie, I'm like, wait, why is he a doctor? Jeff Goldblum's a doctor. He does all the doctoring. Well, I and think I'm like, they're all oh, scientists. it doesn't matter. Even, it doesn't uh, matter. Even Clancy no, Brown's he's, a scientist. Right, but he starts as a brain surgeon. Mm-hmm. The first scene, they're like, we're blasting off in a couple minutes. Where's Bonsai? They're like, oh, he's doing neurosurgery. Right. He's over there like, Goldblum, you suck. It's obviously this. And it's like, he's wow, poking this around guy the brain. And he's just like, the thing is, when you get this deep into the brain, it all looks the same. That's and right. Like, that's not very, like, you know, that's that's doesn't really conjure any sort of confidence with what you're doing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's great. and um, But it's like they're trying to get Buckaroo Banzai 18 Save the Cat moments. Sure. Where it's like, I get it. He's the greatest guy of all time. <laughs> but, uh, all right, so let's do the cast real quick because this is sure fucking insane. 
right? So we start off with Peter Weller. Right. And this is a question I had right off the bat because I was watching. I'm like, does Peter Weller have the most underrated IMDb page ever? Uh, he's in so much stuff, man. I feel like we always just forget because, you know, you'll hear people like, oh, he's RoboCop. And to a cold audience, maybe Buckaroo Bonds. He is in so many great roles. Yep. I really feel like it's one of the like most underappreciated IMDb pages ever. Yeah, he's in um he's in a lot of TV shows recently, but yeah. But no, really just I mean, okay, run. so you got RoboCop, and that's the thing. He went from Buckaroo Banzai, which is kind of this like cult comedy, funny thing, to RoboCop's franchise. What else did he do? Naked Lunch he did was naked a crazy lunch. one. I remember. Uh, what else was he doing? When when did Buckaroo Banzai come out? I can't remember off the top uh, of my Buckaroo head. Buckaroo Banzai was 1984. So. 1984. Okay, so he had just this insane run through the 80s. Yeah, 84 was that. RoboCop in 87. Leviathan is one of those movies I've always loved. <laughs> yeah, and then he... Um, I mean, God he was damn, in Mighty his Aphrodite. IMDb is so fucking packed. But yeah, he's a he's a hard working Screamers. Actor. Did Oh my god, I forgot about Do you remember Screamers? I don't remember Screamers. Dude, if you've never seen Screamers, it doesn't end the strongest, but it's a really it's kind of like Terminator mixed with Tremors. Okay. Mixed with Wait, Mimic. do I remember no. that? <laughs> but that's what I mean. I'm telling you, this guy has had one of the great runs. I think we forget. I think we forget. So this is our lead, right? So we had Peter Weller John Lithgow, Followed Ellen up. Barkin. Yeah, she was a yeah. Jo- Ellen Barkin was an it girl back in the day. She was, and John right? Lithgow, uh, having just seen Pet Cemetery this <laughs> past weekend. Um, man, he's just a really solid actor all around. He was great John. In, John uh, Lithgow Dexter. is also an insanely underrated IMDb page for sure. He's in one of my most favorite, uh, often forgot movies of all time, Ricochet. Okay. Did you ever see that? No, man. Oh, my God. Okay, we're doing it on the show for sure. Uh, he is kind of a hitman, right? And Denzel's a cop, sends him to jail. He's When he's in jail, he decides he's going to take over the white uh, uh, Aryan Nation Brotherhood. Okay. And in jail, they have a samurai duel where they make their body armor out of ripped in half phone books and just duct tape phone books to themselves. And he sword fights Jesse Ventura. For I control mean, of white supremacists. That's pretty awesome. Omar Dude, does that in The Wire to avoid getting yeah. shanked. So. <laughs> it's fucking insane. All right. Okay. God, there's so many. Goldblum. Yep. Christopher Lloyd. Yep. Who else? Uh, Clancy, Clancy Brown. Brown. Just uh, out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Vincent uh, Schiavelli. Um, yep. David Hedaya. These are character actors you would know. Uh, right. I had totally forgotten Jonathan Banks. He of uh, Mike from Breaking Bad fame. He is, yeah. He's in a scene with a full head of hair. I know. Well, he just, he looks like such a little nerd. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, that's like the super gruff and scary uh, fucking, you know, Mike Hitman from Breaking yeah. Bad. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, the cast is ridiculous. Yeah. God, Definitely one of the underrated collections. Of, and, and to see that cast in this kind of movie, too. I feel like that's another one of those things. Like, when is the serendipity going to hit that you would get this insanely unusual kind of high concept science fiction comedy that draws this kind of a cast that goes on to the careers they've had? 
Yeah, it's a little bit of something for everybody <laughs> in Buckaroo Bonsai. So. Yeah, because I feel like this movie just, again, it won't exist anymore. This is not the kind of movie, I mean, especially as studios are getting gobbled up, right? Like, Disney's not putting out Buckaroo Bonsai like this. So I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like these kind of movies where you just get, like, you go back and watch it like, oh, my God, these guys went on to be insanely huge stars. And here they are as Rawhide and, you know, Howdy Doody or whatever they fucking <laughs> He's a cowboy from New Jersey who's a surgeon, Jeff he Goldblum. Is. His name is uh, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, New so. Jersey. Uh, it's just, it's one of those things you keep getting taken back uh, in the movie. So the movie actually is a pretty fun sci-fi romp. Yeah, I had forgotten how, because you get really bowled over by the cast and it, it just has this 80s feel, right? It has kind of a Howard the Duck vibe to me. Yeah, there's this really, like, lo-fi kind of sci-fi element to it of, like... Yeah. Things that you would build if you went to, like, a junkyard and kind of assembled a, <laughs> right. a spaceship from that. It's it's the lower-class Doc Brown setup, right? For sure. <laughs> but uh, it also struck me, I was like, this movie plays is kind of the... Uh, American comic book fan version of the Doctor. Yeah, this I, I this could be that. one of the wackier Doctor Who episodes of all time. I really like that we kind of get dropped into this world where there's a lot of you know infrastructure build of all these characters and backstory that we never really get to find out too much about, but it's just there. Um, you have this feeling that like. They've been on all these adventures. They reference them, but there's yeah. there's no source material for any of that. So <laughs> they yeah, it's like they dropped you in on episode three, right? They dropped you in it's... on like season three. So yeah, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we start off in Buckaroo racing through a mountain, veering off his predetermined course, with his, uh, adding his own trinkets with his Foot Clan to... costume on. So yes, definitely Foot Clan. Uh, he's definitely has the worst uh, high speed car of all time. It's a truck. It is the it is the boxiest, least aerodynamic vehicle of all time. It is a pickup truck with two rockets <laughs> on the back of it. Yeah, and it doesn't matter because he travels uh, betwixt solid matter, right? His theory of the eighth dimension. But he sees something when he's there, and this is kind of our lead into John Lithgow's character, which. John Lord Warfin. Yes, Lord Warfin. Uh this character is on that fine line of if you just found this movie I could imagine your reaction. Yeah. But <laughs> just such a it's such a good fit for this movie. <laughs> uh very stereotypical Italian man. <laughs> yes, yeah, so he's this insane Italian guy who is taken over by an alien Hitler. Yeah. Uh, in the middle of his science career, right? He he essentially is the pre-Buckeye or Buckaroo. Right. right. He so was he's this young hotshot scientist. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Professor Hikita's like, um, I guess you would say like his mentor, maybe. Oh, see, I thought he, yeah, Hikita was his mentor, I thought. Was that what it was? I felt like they were. But like he might have been in, in charge, kind of thing. So yeah, because Hakito was kind of checking the nuts and bolts. So maybe right. uh, Lizardo was in charge. For all I know. Yeah. But yeah. But so it, when he tries to pass through solid matter, he fails. Though he's on a he's possessed. on a 
fucking dolly track with uh, <laughs> a little go-kart and he kisses the picture yeah. of his his wife and kid, which looks like just some, I don't know, like <laughs> renaissance painting that's just kind of tucked in there. And He definitely cut that out of an encyclopedia. <laughs> right. <laughs> Those people never existed. Yeah, no, it's a, it's like an early jackass stunt. It really is. It's not even going that fast. But through fast, the lens of science? But, um, yeah. No, yeah, it's like barely rolling. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and to you didn't mention, to get to that moment, um, we show him in this insane asylum, or sort of like one floor yes. with a cuckoo's nest sort of set up. Because this is um, our flashback. Yeah, I forgot about... Uh, so he's essentially in an asylum where he's allowed to have access to... Tons of electronics and science gear. Uh, graffiti the walls, yeah. It's... Yeah, he, he's writing on the walls, which I thought was an equation, but really seems to just be writing, like, his exact sentences. Yeah, uh, it was the production design team just looking at the script <laughs> and kind of, like, scrawling lines here or there. Um, but the production design team nailed it with our time travel flashback device. Which is essentially, he has, like, those like metal a, scrubbing brushes. wire brush, yeah. I was going to say, like, yeah, a little bottle he, brush. He clamps his tongue and nipples and just, like, fries himself. Yeah, and then memories <laughs> are brought back. Yeah, and the orgasmic thrall of this electrocution. He's like, let me remember the worst day of my... I guess for him, it'd be the best day. Um, well... This would be like if our Hitler got out of the bunker right before suicide and just, like, took over, like, a Jupiter alien's body. Right, yeah, uh, he definitely has mixed feelings about it, and you never really know, like, is Lord Warfin upset with Dr. Hakita, Professor Hakita, or is that Dr. Lazardo? You never really know which one's, because it seems like... I don't like... think he's mad at Lazardo because Lazardo had the idea, but he did hit it prematurely, but without that, he doesn't get here. Hakita's the one who didn't check something in time, and he wasn't able to stop. But it right. feels to me more like they're setting up a he's just jealous of Buckaroo. Okay. Even though Lord Warfin has this giant alien uh, genocide to plan, the little bit of Lazardo who's like John Malkoviching through the lenses. Okay, yeah. So we agree is that that's like, what's happening. Damn here, it. Like... Yeah, because he, he should have been Buckaroo. Instead, he's electrocuting his own nipples and tongue in an insane asylum. Right. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean buckaroo then gets ionized i guess or something and that's a whole other you know uh bag of worms to open up later on but yes yeah so uh yeah dr lizardo goes from this slick back black hair and then crashes pretty much half of his body into a brick wall where he's sort of um molested he's... by aliens and then yeah he's stuck betwixt dimensions and they right. are just giving him noogies and then he's pulled back out to have this just sort of um, orange kind of afro. I don't he know has like Chucky it. hair. Yeah, like he dude, looks it's... like Chucky. It it makes it seem like the eighth dimension's uh, atmosphere is eighty percent meth. Yeah, I mean that's why he comes out looking. Like... His teeth just sort of like have taken a two decades worth of smoke and crystal. Yeah, and he's like, just yeah. like oh, a lot of hits in there in the eighth dimension when I was stuck. And now I'm mad you pulled me out because of withdrawal. <laughs> no, uh, I I do love this villain. We don't ever... I don't know that I ever fully get his plan because it seems like he wants to go back to take over, but he might have, like, 
six guys with him. But then they go to that warehouse at the end, and there's a shitload of Johns. Yeah, so here's the thing is that um, I think they were all exiled back in, what, 1936? Right. From their thing, and then they made it to Earth. A lot of them did, apparently, because they all got Social Security cards. We are the uh, cosmic Australia. Right. We're a penal I, I colony. I don't know what place. year uh, Dr. Lizardo got stuck in the wall in, but um, yeah. I, yeah, I I'm not sure. But yeah, so essentially his whole, I think he's torn between just taking over Earth or going back and getting his revenge. Sure. Yeah. Right? Because it feels like some of the Johns want to definitely stay on Earth because they're like, this place seems pretty awesome. Yeah, and they don't trust that um, his overthruster is worth a damn. So uh, That's true. They're constantly undercutting him. They're uh, like, you're up there giving the great Hitler speech, but you look like a methed out Chucky doll. And John Big And your science looks janky as fuck. Yeah, and John Big Boutet is ready to usurp the crown. So. That's right. Okay, so Christopher Lloyd, the great Christopher Lloyd, plays this awesome alien henchman. Named John Big Boutte. I think there's another John named John Smallberries. There's John Smallberries, John <laughs> Yaya, John, um, I think it was called John Different Jars. Yeah, or right. something like that, or Many Pots, <laughs> Many Jars. So, Oh uh, my god. Yeah, it's... <laughs> the naming of the Johns, I never quite figured out either. I just loved it. Um, let me ask you a question. This I'll take us back to the scene when... Buckaroo and the the Hong Kong Cavaliers celebrate by playing a rock show. Right, which is always one of my favorite things. We talked about that in um what what was the first thing we did together? Was it Nightbreed? Yes. I think where there's just a full on song performance. Yeah, they did that in Lost that... Boys too, our other lost episode. <laughs> right. But uh yeah, but... <laughs> it's always a, a favorite. Right. Here's something I have to ask though. This is an ethical question for Buckaroo. Playing the show, and this is another saves the cat moment, because he stops the whole show and he's like, wait, I sent someone crying in the darkness. And he gets Ellen Barkin's backstory, right? She's uh, Penny Purdy. Right. Who reminds him of somebody. Right. Come to find out, twin sister of his potentially dead wife? The Queen of the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What are the ethics of Sleeping just... with your dead wife's sister? Yeah, you're like, I'm just going to use you. It's, it felt uh, very beer fest, right? It's a gray area. I Where it's think, like, you could just sure. call me landfill the exact same. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, I think I think that's not the best situation for Penny Purdy. Right. It's, this um, is the equivalent of getting to marry Tony Stark or something like that. So you'll get a lot of prestige and money. But constantly being called your dead sister's name in the sack. Him right. starting to be like, no, wear these clothes. No, see this picture? Do that, Erica. Yeah, even Is in it the acceptable? play in the show, he was just like, all right, this one's for you, Peggy. And she's like, it's Penny. Oh, who cares? Oh, fuck. Who see, cares? I thought he was just mixing that up. I didn't even think that was her name. No. Oh, that's so brutal. Because remember, okay. everybody keeps thinking that she's Peggy. So, Is it ethical for either? She doesn't no. know her sister. No, I think But she knows just... she is... <laughs> she's finding no. a crack in the emotional armor and for him to just be like wait you could be an actual human replacement yeah uh no the answer is no 
Um, <laughs> you and, think he's like, but this is the thing. So you're a you're a widower, and you see someone. Let's say it's a long lost twin they never knew. You're just like, all the pieces are there, but you gotta go. I can't be tempted. Right, and I think I think it's cool. I don't know, man. Uh, I think it's <laughs> definitely a more unethical gray area. Uh, well, here's the problem, right? Buckaroo has his fantasy, I'm assuming, of his lost partner. That this is where we ate. This is the position we did. And then we rolled into this position. Right. Very rapidly, Penny Peggy is going to start shattering those fantasies. This is going to be a tumultuous and terrible breakup. He basically is saying, here's the set list. Try to keep up. Like, uh, yeah, this is, this is the <laughs> and when this flames out, he will have lost his fantasy in the memories he had of his dead wife. Uh, yeah, which we never, this is a hard road to hoe either. Um, I'm assuming on an adventure <laughs> with Buckaroo. So. Yeah. It seems like every time you go on an adventure with Buckaroo, there could be a lot of murders. Yeah. And like, and even that's... in that scene, right? Someone shoots at Buckaroo when he's singing the love song. They assume it's her. And every guy in the band just goes, tch, 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 and they that all was have one of my favorite parts. Guys. I think that's so great is that everybody, and this is another reason why um, we suggested a double feature for this one, and it's The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Everybody carries a gun with them, and I just think that that's, that's hilarious. It's uh, <laughs> They're always adventure ready. For sure. Which is awesome. Uh, John. What about this movie do you think has led it to its cult classic status? I think it's uh, past the whole, you know, irreverent kind of romp and sci-fi stuff. I think it's just the the humor is really just, I think it's fucking hilarious. I think the whole film is um, the moments that we get with people as he's singing this sad song to her. And then she pulls out a pistol from her purse and points it at her head. And it's only because someone bumps her that she shoots it in the air. Like, she was going to blow her brains out. Right. As he's serenading <laughs> her. And um, there's all these different kind of moments. Um, of it's very – it has a very tongue-in-cheek. And he has great one-liners throughout. Yeah, throughout the whole thing. Even Jeff Goldblum where they're making fun of his cowboy thing. And we just end on the line like, what, is, is he making fun of me? And, right. uh, About where his spurs are. Right. And it's just little moments like that where, like, are we watching, like, an Altman film kind of with this? But, um, yeah, it, I really, um, I just think the over-the-top nature of the whole thing is kind of what sticks with people. Um, yeah, it plays in this really fun way where they they have built a really fun world to play in. One thing I was fascinated by, the world building is so good, right? Like, the costumes and the props are fantastic. When they get to the alien ships, and he's like, strap in! Or whatever, you know, in his Italian accent. Right. Strap in! Uh, they actually have, like, these giant backpack-looking fleshy mounds that like, are their yeah, straps. Like, uh, Everything is just... Elton it, John it looks, made a meat. Yes, and it looks low-budget, but in the best possible way. Yeah, and I think that right? that's, so like, So everything looks low-quality, but awesome. Like the bubble wrap masks to see the yeah. hologram. Oh my god, I laugh so hard at that. And I, but that's what I mean. It's there's this theory now that you can just make everything this uber hyper realistic, and it has to add up because people, uh, you know, someone will do like a Twitter, like, oh, 
<laughs> eight times Buckaroo Banzai was not, you know, plot hole, whatever. Right, right. And it's a movie that builds this really fascinating world where the rules of the world all seem to work really well. It's a really well thought out, and it feels shockingly lived in right. for the kind of kitschy fantasy sci-fi this is. Right, but, and this is something. And, and while it is hilarious, it it does let the characters take the story they're in ultra seriously, which I always love because if the characters are too in on the joke, that's when I don't like it. Right, right. But the characters feel like they're really heroes doing heroic things, just in these kind of hilariously absurd ways. Yeah, it almost feels like. Um some sort of serialized Japanese anime that you would watch as like a kid where like Lupin the Third or something where he's got this gang of all very skilled in their own right and they're just kind of <laughs> tagging along with this guy for some reason or another and getting into all sorts of adventures and um yes right. and, and the, you talked about the world where it's like um they kind of embrace the fact that we don't care about what the vein in somebody's brain is called for this neural surgery. They're just making right. shit up. And uh, the other movie that we talked about, like with Life Aquatic, when we get to that, is um, the same sort of thing, where the names of all the fish in the ocean, like no one, it's all just made up. And it's made up in a right. way that you don't really have to worry about it being scientifically accurate. That's not what this is about. Throw it out the window. So Well, they make Buckaroo this really fun, rebellious explorer. So you could imagine even during something like brain surgery where we all think of it as like, oh, that's the show your mom watches, right? Binge watches for three hours on some actual cable network. Right. Like, ER nightmares. And it's all tense and whatever. Buckaroo's still just exploring. Yeah. And making shit up as he goes. Like, he's just so, he's just going to, you know, fiddle his way through like it's a jazz solo. (laughs) He's cool as a cucumber throughout everything and, um. I think he makes like a hard left turn as he's supposed to be coming in from this rocket car. And they're like, Buckaroo, he's deviating from the plan. And all of his team members are like, yep, yep, that's, uh, just stay cool. It'll hold. Yeah. The plan is to always break the plan, guys. Come on, get the memo. <laughs> right. <laughs> and- well, you kind of are on his tour bus and you're like, it seems silly, but you're like, this tells me an awful lot about how these guys live their life. They have a little Bushido shrine set up for his... Yes, um, there's a dojo in the back for him swords. to kneel. And then you walk into just a command center. And it's also their rock band's tour bus. <laughs> yeah, I think this is sort of like the dream um, <laughs> superhero setup that uh, that I always kind of like imagine living as a kid. Like, this is the yeah. way that you do it. This is how 14-year-old boys imagined you would live if you could be, like, um, instantly turned into Captain America. Right. You're like, yeah, the punching Nazi shit's cool, but I also got to have my boys on the side. (laughs) Playing in a rock band as you're... uh... People want to hear our Ramones covers. I need to get a bus. And it's like the the music that they're playing is... What would you even call that? Like, um... like I have have no idea. Or something like... It's kind of one of those things that occurred in the 80s a lot where it's we're a band that sounds like four other bands you like and we're only going to be here real quick so get in and then as soon as they do it someone else like well we're those that band who's imitating four bands and these six bands yeah um i I don't know i don't know but i would go to a hong kong cavalier show 
It looked lit. <laughs> I mean, people were getting pretty fucking hyped up, and she was soaking down that fat. What she? What she called like fat sixty or whatever? I don't know. She was <laughs> right. So they have some kind of like chemical opioid uppers. Um, it's it's so strange the amount of depth they put in the world. Um, even something as crazy as like Buckaroodis has this direct line to the president. Who's and he who's just he operated on the president. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, so the president's in this giant, like, fucking uh, lawnmower man gyro yeah, ball. Yeah, like, this gyroscope. Oh, man. And um, he's just kind of, <laughs> it was almost like Doctor Strangelove-esque, where he's just calling in, and this guy's just like, I don't know, what do we do? Is it yes on the Russians, no on, you know, uh, saving the world, or whatever it is? It's Right, it's, and he's a great foil for Buckaroo, right? Because here's this man of ultimate power, uh, laid low by kind of being an old whatever, you know, He's just, he has a back problem. That's not his fault, but he's old, whatever. And every thing that confronts him, it's like, should I steal Buckaroo's thing and just fight the Russians to death? Right. And Buckaroo has such a grander kind of scope, right? And he's always super chill. And I love how they do it. It feels like every scene he talks to the president, he's like, oh, hold on, president. Something more pressing is happening. <laughs> right. And, ultimate uh, power move yeah it, it kind of reminds me it's sort of rick and morty-esque where it, there's so much else going on that yeah the president is sort of just like uh, he's a close friend that you know you'll get to when you get to him but um right one of my favorite parts about this is the how deep buckaroo bonsai's kind of gang runs with the blue blazer regulars scooter and, okay um, so not only that and then the rug suckers right he, yeah, it's like he just has, like, he's deputized. This is like in the 90s and 80s when they were doing Avengers, Avengers West Coast. Like, they, the Avengers were franchising out across the entire world. Right, and you have the <laughs> the guy and his kid, Scooter and Casper. Oh, Scooter was the best. <laughs> Scooter just... at the end of the movie is holding the Secretary of Defense of America hostage at gunpoint. At gunpoint. With a giant assault rifle. In, like, a laser tag vest. And uh, what does he say to him? He's like, um, don't move or I'll drink your blood. Or something yeah, like right. that. <laughs> Get oh away from that God. car or I'll drink your blood. <laughs> he's so fucking hardcore, yeah, man. and the guy's like, that's not a real gun. And then he shoots it off in the air and he's like, get him up. Yeah, and, right. Uh, this 11-year-old helicopter flying. <laughs> yeah. He's just an awesome character, man. Uh, yeah, I love Scooter. I was a little sad I never learned the backstory of the rug suckers. Sure. I was well, like, I th- that is a, a shockingly specific and aggressive name for your subgroup. Because I feel like the other one, they're called like Blue, right? Like Blue something. Right, the Blue Code Blazer. Blue, blue Blazer yeah. regulars. Yeah, that sounds very standard kind of code namey. The rug suckers. Yeah, well, he's always talking about the strike teams. He's like, should we call it strike team? Right. No. <laughs> And it's like perfect Tommy is always waiting to call the strike teams to go fuck shit up. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, that's what I mean. It's like you get dropped into season three of what would be this long-running kind of serialized comic that's like they've had all these adventures prior to this. This isn't like their first right. kind of thing. And but I that's think what, that's I mean, what's that's, so fun they about just, it. There's this thing that most movies would do is they wouldn't introduce the rug suckers and the blue blazers. And the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Right. Because they'd be like, we got to know who these people are. And, tell- and this movie just says, well, yeah, that's cool that he has strike teams. 
And it's cool that this kid gets to hold the Secretary of Defense hostage just because he knows Buckaroo. Right. And so these little decisions that feel like bad moves by normal movie standards are used to such clever effect in this movie. I think it just right? builds this world that's like... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, you feel like there's this huge, infinite, expansive world beyond this. Right? And they even have that in the post-credits. It's like, Buckaroo will return uh, to fight the crime, the International Crime League? The World Crime right, League. Right, right. Oh, apparently here, I'm looking at the credits, and there is a rug sucker listed on the credits that might have been in this film that we didn't see. <laughs> well, no, they had two guys get out of the van, right? Well, it was uh, the Kalani brothers and um, the rug suckers. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Fuck yeah. No, I, I mean, I just, I dig that, right? I dig that, like, there's a great moment, too, and I was, it's just this constant deifying of him. There's no one like Buckaroo Banzai in our world, right? It'd be like Jesus, I guess. But uh, when the two hunters are out, and they're able to just fucking wing that spaceship, that and they're out there in the middle of nowhere, and they find a Buckaroo Banzai comic in the it's mud. It's the latest issue. Yeah, and he's like, it's the latest issue. And you're like, even these fucking guys... No or obsessed Buckaroo, with Buckaroo yeah. Bonsai comics. Well, when he steals right? the motorcycle <laughs> and that guy's like, it's Buckaroo Bonsai. Yeah, everyone knows him and just accepts that his adventuring is going to inconvenience you at one point. Yeah. And, and I'd imagine I, they're excited. That's the best thing that ever happens to them. And there's so many moments with those side characters that are like, in my opinion, they're really funny where the guy's like, the spaceship's in the tree, and the two hunters are there, and he's just like, shine a light up there for me. He's like, I can't, I'm holding the guns. And, yeah, right. and the guy's like, well, drop the guns and hold the flashlight. He's like, I'm not dropping these guns. And it's like... <laughs> no. They... <laughs> it's like dialogue that you would write kind of uh... on your first pass, where you're like, yeah, like that's that's funny to me. That, no one else is going to find that funny. That, But, you know, for me, This for whole right movie now. plays like that, though, right? Is some guy's just like... I have found a way to channel every single thing I like and enjoy into one uh, absurd, absurd container. Yeah, Earl Mac Rau Roush. That's who yeah. wrote it. It's a it's a joy, man. This movie is really just uh, it embraces everything that's just like fun and joyful. But see, that's that's what I took away from it because I told you I had seen it before. Uh, but it was probably through a very thick cloud uh, in a hot box scenario. Yeah. So I remembered like a couple things, right? Like for some reason, the thing that really stuck out to me was John Parker's Jamaican accent. Yeah. Like that was like one of the most memorable things from my high school viewing of this, I guess. But um, I just watched this movie and I, I feel like movies are now so polished, so expensive that they're either so expensive they have to play it straight or – you know, guys like us who are out trying to make our own shit, you're trying to get so experimental and clever that you're almost too in on it. Right. And this movie feels genuinely like a guy who thought he was creating the coolest world that he knew we would all like, as absurd as it felt. Like, it was never a way, like, I'm just doing a parody or poking fun. Um, cause, you know, a lot of people mention this has a lot of ties back to the old Doc Savage comics, right? Yeah, a lot of the characters have similar qualities and this and that, and I think it was just a like a super fan who like you know I love all these things and I'm going to make that 
<laughs> and during production, it obviously plays tongue-in-cheek funny, and it, it gets so fucking absurd with Lithgow and John Big Boutte and whatever. I mean, you're just you're enjoying the the fun of it, right? And the laughing. And even those um, the small moments really get me too, like Jeff Goldblum being like, "What's that watermelon doing there?" And Reno just being like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you about it later." Yeah, and, I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> or the general eating the fruit basket in the president's hospital room, where he's like obviously yeah. opened up that fruit basket and he's just kind of eating an apple and saying like, "I don't know." I hope I speak for everyone here that I'm afraid. Right. Oh, what was it at the end when uh, he wakes up Ellen Barkin and they're about to bang and they just cut to the alien overlord in the ship? And she's like, big deal. Yeah, big deal. <laughs> I was like, what the? But yeah, but, but it's, it's great because it gets the comedy in and it never feels cheap. No, it's, you know what it's I mean? just so genuine. It, it's, a, it's a byproduct of this really well thought out world in these zany characters and it's this perfect byproduct of the tone that the characters are seriously in the world but allowed to be funny it's i mean it just has this love letter vibe to it to a time and a place where i feel like now everything's so overthought and cynical and there's so many ways now that you know again guys like us on our way up trying to find a way to make movies and write scripts we have so many tools now to learn about the craft of storytelling and writing and filmmaking right. that you just you almost get so clever that it becomes paralyzing. Yeah, this just kind of says like I'm okay with it being not perfect and just oh my, being I mean, imagine it's, taking it's this to a pitch meeting. Like it would be so terror-inducing to me. Like pitch this movie to any studio exec, right? And it's a movie that you love and it's fun, but you're like, oh god. and it's not it doesn't even have that like sharknado thing where you're like it's so silly and it's a sci-fi so it's like a throwaway it'll work or it won't right we're gonna put it between trailer park shark and ice sharks and five-headed sharks so whatever it'll work or it won't it's a tornado sharks fine yeah i think this doesn't have that extra layer it's like no this is an earnest science fiction adventurer Who's going to fight a guy named John Big Booty right. while John Lithgow is a demented meth Chucky doll is going to scream in a terrible Italian accent. Right. <laughs> and it's – I think this kind of exemplifies the alchemy you know, that you talk about on the it's podcast beautiful. of yeah. this doesn't look right on paper. This doesn't add up. This – what are you talking about? Jeff Goldblum plays like a side character? Yeah. To, a New Jersey uh, cowboy? What? Right. Um. But yeah, no, man, it's beautiful it, because it's it's just this – you see this cast and you're like, how the fuck did this happen? And you're watching the movie you're like, oh, my God. It's one of those like lost in the 80s like shit fest. Right. But then by the end of the movie, it's just so fucking enjoyable. Like, you feel elated watching it. You're like, I miss the days uh, – yeah, I mean I thought of Howard the Duck too. Like that's one of those movies I mentioned on our other show, Longbox. I'm like, you'll never see that version of Howard the Duck again. Right. Like, the kind of kids' movie with... It's an adult movie masqueraded as a kids' movie that really fucking goes for it, right? Like, they're just like, yeah, they're probably his bestiality and he's a jizz mopper and... You know what I mean? Like, those weird kind of, like, your mom would rent it for you, but you still thought, there might be something on here I shouldn't watch. This is definitely like, one of those dangerously movies, yeah. fun. Yeah. And this has... that Where it's just... I mean, you could just get weirder and try crazier things 
while having a cast like this. Right. Like if you were to Cuz that's the thing today, you can find movies out there like this just made by guys, you know, on shoestring budgets whatever. But they won't have that kind of cast and oomph behind them. Yeah, and if you think about like would moments that were in this film ever play? Like would you ever be able to give a kid, you know, a gun like that or have the Right. Have a little black kid holding try to kill uh, herself in the club? Yeah. Like <laughs> No, there's definitely maybe some millennial listen to this podcast and write a think piece called Buckaroo Bonsai Problematic. Yeah, right? it, I mean this is how this movie didn't age well. If you this today. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I mean I think you can just watch the the credit scene of this movie, and it it's kind of an absurd, silly scene, but it's so fun, and it to me it just kind of captures it really what does, this man. movie is. Uh, that, it's this shockingly weird, entertaining scene. That you can't tell why it's in the movie, but they do it with such swagger that it it you totally are like, yes, wash this all over me. Right. It's, it's insane. I, I don't get a lot of it, but I just it's it's this perfect mix of the right time before they got scared to make this kind of movie, man. It, it kind of, you know, this is filled with those moments of like the original Ninja Turtles where um fucking raft falls through the skylight and then is in that bathtub at the casey's farmhouse or <laughs> right right where it's just like a really dark <laughs> indie art film moment in the middle of this like this this kid's movie and this film has like those moments where you're just like this is this could be yeah this could be problematic <laughs> him trying no, yeah, to john lithgow just snaps that dude's neck on his way out the door right like, brutally snaps his neck, and then, yeah, Scooter holding that guy hostage. That would definitely be... That would spark a thousand Twitter debates. Right. Right. And, um, <laughs> yeah, there's a moment in this Yeah, film the prequel too. to This Is America music video starring Scooter. <laughs> right. And um, I really like moments to me in this film that I, I just kind of... It really makes it for me, or, like, when Penny's being tortured... And um, yeah. Lord Warfin calls Buckaroo Bonsai on the phone to be like, yeah, you know, look, look what's going on. And she's just like, I'm not worth it, Buckaroo. Go, leave me. I'm not <laughs> worth it. And he's just like, Penny, get off the phone. <laughs> and it's just like. <laughs> Peter Weller. I've always thought Peter Weller is funnier than he gets credit for. He's he's really good at the dry those yeah he has this very great deadpan delivery it's awesome <laughs> yeah if he had played this character any differently i think he could have really come off as being a little bit too just too campy uh too too out there but he plays it with like such a genuine sense of coolness like he's like everything this guy does is he's just so cool right right well you could imagine the version of this movie that ends up going to like a way early in his career uh, Jim Carrey or Nicolas Cage or something like that. Where it's just over the top. And yeah, and you're like, now our anchor to some kind of like idealized cool American man is just so thrown off kilter. We're like, it's too much madness. And we all leave the theater looking like, you know, Lazardo. <laughs> yeah, and all the members of the Hong Kong Calav or Cavaliers, they just play it so, so subdued. And just like, yeah. like they're in well, a military even operation. Brown. Like, 
Yeah, Clancy Brown is man. That guy is such the, a actor, the man. eternal like terrible. I am the hardest. I have the voice of destruction, <laughs> and he's just kind of like Buckaroo. There's a guy over there, Sixth Street. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. He's just rawhide. He's just there handling business. He's a middle manager. He is a middle manager, and then he gets shot with that alien dart. Uh, spoilers and um, <laughs> spoilers. He can't be cured. You should have probably seen this by now. You had your time. But he just has this death scene where, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of sad when he's, oh, it's he's super sad. dying in Buckaroo's arms and Perfect John or Perfect Tommy can't even look at him. And, he, and Buckaroo's just kind of like, bummer. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't seem too upset. But yeah, and um, Clancy Brown just through the whole thing is just like, what are you guys looking at? You got work to do. Get to it's it. It's too tough. Too tough Saddle to die. Up. But he does get a comeback for the strut, which feels great. Right. And that's another tie-in that when we do Life Aquatic, there are so many parallels between this and Life Aquatic. Um, it's it's kind of astounding to watch this again and be like, oh my God, even more than I thought. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man. Yeah. This film is, I think it's a special film. It's it's one of those few that is so genuinely campy and over the top, but in a way that's so sincere. And yes. you feel like this is how they, the only way they could get it made was to have this sort of style and production design. And it was shot like, <laughs> you know, on a shoe It was a, ser- a serendipitous run. Any of these things goes too far campy. And it's done. Right. This movie implodes under its own weight. It is like the the lasers, you know? It's a great example for this movie, right? Lasers wildly firing at a wall. And every now and again, if they all point to the same spot, you can reach some kind of transcendent extra dimension. Right. Right. That's very much what happened with this. Because, yeah, I, to me, that's the thing. There is a sincerity to it. They play it straight and let the comedy naturally bubble to the surface. Um, it's just visually such a fun fucking world they set up. Uh, and again, yeah, it's, they don't drown you in extra information. It's one of those movies that trains you as an audience immediately to take in the things that they're showing you really quickly and just integrate Rolling. it into yeah. the lore of the world and say fuck yeah man i'm on the adventure <laughs> right you're either you're either you know riding the rocket car or you're not like you, you yeah you're here or you're not are you willing to go off the course with buckaroo or not like you got to decide that in the first scene right and um if you're willing is that to a visual kind of cue when it? he's just uh cutting the brain and he's like hey man you know cut that right now Get that cerebral bullshit out of here, man. Just get ready for a good time. Right, right. He's just like, it all looks the same, you know? And, man, there's some sort of weird Zen philosophy with Buckaroo that kind of carries him through this thing that, um, yeah. It's just, yeah, iconic. He is an unstoppable force of forward movement in this movie. <laughs> right. He's just always running or chasing or seeking, never losing his cool. Uh, no, man. I mean, I think that's a good way to wrap it up is, you know, when he's talking about the brain, he says it all looks the same. If you get deep enough, Buckaroo never looks the same. It never feels the same as hardly any movie. And there are other movies, again, in this era that were kind of high concept, smaller budget and a little weirder movie. This is like a real era of gems for me. 
For sure. And also, like, formative year movies, too, right? Like, you found these at that age. We're like, what the fuck? Um, but, yeah, man, it's just – it made me look back and just yearn for those kind of movies. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this ever gets made again in the same way. Not like- not like this. Again, this is a really clever young guys with no budget make it, you know, and it's too – like, you see it now. There are things like – what is it? Uh, God damn it. Miami – Kung Fu or Miami, whatever it was, right? Someone's like, you got to watch this. It's just like a an 80s drug martial arts movie. And I watched it. I'm like, oh, they're they're like too in on it. They know all the tricks and, and they've watched all the yeah, old genre yeah, films, yeah. but they're too in. It's too computer animated. You know, I've seen like a bunch of those kind of this movie, right? right. Where they're doing Buckaroo Banzai, but it's overly animated too clever like kung fury you know? would be or something like yeah, that yeah exactly we're gonna show you that we know all the stuff um but it just lacks that Heart. thing like i yeah because honestly i don't feel like that's what they were going for with this movie <laughs> it just happens to be the only way this movie works i feel like they thought they were making star wars or something I, like that <laughs> like honestly there was God, a genuine... I, I really think they thought franchise like this For is sure. indiana jones <laughs> i mean but it, like it with, a with a cooler soundtrack right yeah yeah but yeah it's one I that know. i think if it got a reboot it, it wouldn't we'll feel anywhere close to being you know a reboot would magic. be hard yeah i mean in a way i would say just watch doctor who man yeah i think that's he's he's like a, a less david tenet's a little more jokey but, like, David Tennant's Doctor Who plays very buckaroo bonsai to me. Yeah, I, I can I can see that. I can Like, I can him and Matt Smith's era feels kind of like the rightful successor to what buckaroo bonsai was doing. Yeah, there's something just, um, man, you, you definitely want to carry the spirit of this movie with you. Um, as somebody who makes movies, there's something kind of, like, admirable about this whole, this whole production. So... Yeah. Oh, I remember listening to Seth Rogen somewhere, and he was talking about how much he fucking loves Total Recall. Yeah. And he's like, I always go back and appreciate Total Recall because it's one of those heat check movies where it's, no, look, the the American public and the world cinema public even, they'll accept out there and weird if it's done really well. You know, you don't have to be afraid to make a buckaroo bonsai and put it out to mass audiences right because if the charm is there and the magic is there they're cool with that like they'll find it and even if it's not successful right away it can become a cult classic like buckaroo did right um and yeah so i think when you find those movies where someone just legitimately went for it and you can tell that the only there was no overthruster, right the overthruster for buckaroo bonsai was legitimate sincere belief and love in this character love in this world and love for the fucking uh movies and adventures man for sure yeah this this film had nothing but heart um through the whole you know production design and costumes and over-the-top story so good yeah The, the visual world is definitely my favorite element of the movie I think my favorite element is just this ragtag group that you get to follow around in this weird, you know, the, the actors are so good. But yeah, I can't be like, 
what is Tommy perfect at? Right? So I kept thinking that about characters, but and then they'd be like, here's a space slug that's going down a two by four towards Ellen Barkin. Right. We have no idea what it does, but I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. The giant uh possibly living escape pod, you know, with mouth. Uh I liked even the alien look. It was kind of silly, but it was great. The bubble wrap and uh, you know, Ellen Barkin's crazy ass dress at the end. I was like there's so many weird, crazy things and choices happening, and I love it. I just love it. Like, when they go on that tour bus, I'm like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's there's nothing I don't like about Buckaroo Bonsai. It's a world I just so, like, if Ready Player One were a real thing, cause that's another one of these things that has given homage to Buckaroo later on. But you're like, you would definitely, in the Oasis, want to go play around in Buckaroo Bonsai's world. For sure. Because imagine the other strike teams we didn't see. Imagine the, the World suckers. League of Criminals, man. <laughs> They're probably everyone you meet is probably some fucking all the way out there crazy bitch character, and anything can happen. And yeah, anyone can be an adventurer. We could become a strike team for Buckaroo. You, uh, yeah, I think that's the magic of Buckaroo Bonsai's world is that anybody could be part of his adventure. So yes, oh, I I was really happy to revisit this because when you picked it i was like all right i remember kind of a weird thing i just man every now and again i just forget how much these these just fucking weird movies that should not exist from my childhood mean to me yeah it's um (laughs) it holds a special place in my heart um yeah man uh very excellent choice as john said we're gonna try to get uh life aquatic out for you by next week uh, a perfect pairing uh, for Mr. Buckaroo Bonsai. As Alex is out, we're not going to do it as a normal double feature. We're going to make sure we have episodes to cover week to week. Uh, we did miss last week, uh, but, you know, life found a way. And as Buckaroo says, wherever you find yourself, there you are. Yeah, no matter where you go. There you are. Wherever, no matter where you go, that's where you are. Yeah, something like that. He does it better. He's Peter Weller. He does it better. Um, okay, guys, that's another one. If you guys want on film alchemist, hit me up with the top three actors with the most underrated IMDb. Cause I would argue Lithgow and Weller could make that list. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I, I would back you up. Shockingly good IMDb's. Um, all right, guys, as always, please leave us ratings and reviews. If you can on the podcast directory where you find us. If you have social uh, media like us, we're very young and hip. I'm assuming you do. Uh, Follow, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. And as always, man, thanks for sharing and uh, watching movies with us. Uh, I love that we get to have these talks about uh, these specific films with you guys. So thanks for doing that with us. Uh, From the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Jonathan Holliday. Adios, uh, Kurgan Dandino. Welcome, my friend. Laugh a while you can, monkey boy.